1: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
2: Hello, movie truthers. Welcome to this week's episode of Truth and Movies. I'm Leila Latif.
3: I'm David Jenkins.
4: And I'm Michael Leder.
2: On the show this week, cracks form on the shell of a perfect family in hatching. Coming of Age Ain't All It's Cracked Up be in Funny Pages. And in Film Club, it's Back to Supernatural Eggs in Mamori Oshii's animated masterpiece Angel's Egg. And I'll also be talking to artist Dan Guthrie about his part in a new touring film programme, Right of Way. All coming up on Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Ah, oh, well, what is there to say beyond that Michael's back? Michael, woo! what have woo, you woo, been woo. up to?
4: Yay. Oh, hi. Wow, it's been a while since I've been on the show, and even longer since I've been a guest on the show. That's wild. How are you
3: all doing, Layla? Uh,
2: okay? Feeling very much like an imposter. <laughs> like <laughs> like I'm on the wrong side of this running order. But... This is
3: This is like the Spider-Man meme where you're kind of like pointing at each other, isn't it? I know you're, like, no, you're the, the host. No, you're the host. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. It's uh, it's wild to be back. Thank you for inviting me
4: back for Egg Week.
2: Well, you know, we uh, we would have you in- your insights for every week, but this seemed a particularly apt thing since you are, um, you know such an expert on all the things animated. Um, how is everything going with your podcast on the subject, Ghibliotech?
4: Oh, Tech's going strong. We've just finished a mini-series on stop-motion animation. We looked at the filmographies of director Henry Selick, who made two... Uh, goth touchstones for two separate generations the Nightmare Before Christmas and Coraline and he's about to do the same again for Wendell and Wilde so great to dive into his filmography then we also spun off in a different direction to follow the the work of Leica Studios who are the stop motion animation studios based in Portland Oregon that made Box Trolls and Kubo and the Two Strings and Missing Link so we've just done um, stop motion we moved away from anime for a little bit but in the sidelines, Jake, uh, my co-host, and I have been writing a book that's coming out in about a month's time, fingers crossed, uh, depending on shipping delays. Hmm. It's the Tech Anime Movie Guide. He's Angel's Egg in that? It's mentioned, yeah. yeah. So we set ourselves the task of providing 30 gateways into the world of Japanese animation, so 30 separate feature films, and we uh, set ourselves a task of only one film per filmmaker. And so, of course, we had to go with Ghost in the Shell for Mamoru Oshii. But we did also, where we could, where we had titans of the industry, we um, made space to talk about their other films as well. So, Angel's Egg is talked about in the mm-hmm. book as well. Cool.
2: I-, I swear you just wrote a book. Like, the pace <laughs> with which you are writing this book is making you feel extremely lazy.
4: Uh, well, we don't have much else to do, really. <laughs> out, out here in mid-Sussex, there's uh, there's not a lot going on to distract me from writing books. So yeah, the Tech book came out this week, a year ago, and um, now we've got another book coming out in October. So yeah, it's really wild to have a podcast that turns into a book.
2: Well, um, I can only hope to kind of follow in those footsteps. But yeah, I mean, I don't know that we've been on together since um, it's all been announced, but extremely grateful to be you to for everything you did with this podcast and it's been really nice trying to keep up your standards and uh, keeping it going forward.
4: Oh cheers Layla! but also you're you're absolutely you know prime standard broadcaster in your own right so really it was uh, easy to hand over the baton to you and I'm not joking when I said that you'll bring me back for egg week I did wonder uh, if this was an in-joke because uh, my son three-year-old son is called Ivo and uh when we uh, when people ask about where we got that name from there are a few famous ivos out there ivo graham the stand-up comedian um ivo watts russell founder of 480 records or dr ivo robotnik from the sonic hedgehog movies also known as dr eggman so i thought this was what you were you were just digging the knife in in my side there (laughs)
2: Wow. Well, I mean, given how much David hated the Sonic the Hedgehog films, that would be like a bit of a (laughs) a bit of a dig to Ivan. We would certainly not come for a toddler on on a platform such as this.
4: Good, I'll apologise on your behalf to him.
2: Join our communities of film lovers by becoming a Little White Lies member. You'll receive exclusive perks and an insider's view into the world of Little White Lies while directly supporting our independent film journalism. Search Little White Lies membership via your search engine and click through to our Steady HQ page for a detailed breakdown of the plans. Now on to the movies. Tinja, a young gymnast is desperate to please her mother, who is in turn obsessed with presenting the image of a perfect family on her popular blog. One day, Tinja finds a mysterious egg and brings it home only to be unprepared for what is growing inside. I mean, we say that this is an egg fit movie, and in some ways it is, but this egg hatches pretty early on, so this is mostly a monster movie, wouldn't you say?
4: Absolutely. This is a, this is one of those where it has an amazing still, an amazing poster of this sort of tween age girl cradling a massive egg on her bed. Um, but yes, I don't think it's much of a spoiler to say that that egg does hatch and inside the egg is an allegory. <laughs> <laughs> it is a monster movie. There is this bird type creature inside the egg we should say how, how maybe the, this this bird egg is introduced into this world. It's this beautiful, uh, pristine, uh, Instagram-ready, Finnish family home. Everything is uh, designed to a T by this mother who is a wannabe mummy blogger or domestic goddess blogger. And in the opening scene, a bird, a black bird, kind of crashes into this home and they have to get rid of it. And the little girl buries the bird and but then... This egg comes into the life of the family, and I say it's an allegory. It really is one of those films, the sort of post-Babadook films, where um, there's this, this seesaw between the text and subtext of a horror movie. Where it, what is the you know where it's whether a monster movie or is it an allegorical monster movie? How much is the subtext being uh, prioritized over the text? And it's quite a rich one, I think, for the majority of this film, where we have this girl as she is reaching adolescence or going through adolescence and having responsibilities, feelings, impulses of her own within the family household, maybe stepping out of the shadow of a controlling mother. Um, while all the while, there is this literal monster under her bed that's growing that she has to look after.
2: Um, yeah, there was a term that I think AA Dowd came up with earlier this year referring to horror, um, we're well, referring to men. And you know, calling for an end of what he termed metaphor, where it's just mm-hmm. that we go all metaphor and kind of actually forget to be scary. Like David, did the balance of this work for you?
3: Yeah, kinda. I was a bit like, yeah, I I, I, I maybe thought that like it was less a case of the, the of the balance not working and more a case of like I did I did feel like there was elements of this story that I'd seen done better in other places maybe um so 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 more a case of like it it maybe wasn't necessarily taking its idea into a into an area that i felt was like truly unique and exciting um i mean you you there's definitely this kind of i think in this the second half of the film where this very uh kind of postcard picture perfect family starts to disintegrate, and I mean, and and they're very much kind of like there is a sort of caricature element to it. In that the the son and the father are kind of they they, they look exactly the same, and they're both sort of semi despised by the women in the family for 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 having the, the you know, have these big round glasses and a very clean cut and are kind of annoying. So like there is there there are all these kind of festering tensions at the beginning, and and you know the the from, from the off as you say michael there's the scene which sort of gets the plot rolling in which this um uh blackbird i don't know I, I don't know what type of bird it is actually but uh, this 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 sort of like raven looking bird kind of comes through the window and the mother w- it w- w- who takes quite uh, some amount of glee in sort of snapping its neck to sort of put it out of its misery smiling at the daughter who's looking back up at her in kind of abject horror like how could how could someone be so brutal and um I think the film is exploring this idea of like through through the metaphors and through the monsters and through the through through these kind of like the, these sort of presences in that that are introduced into into the, into the into the into the family into the lives of like you know being able to like the the sudden breakdown and sudden changes and whether that is the, um, you know, the the sort of um, coming of age of the of the female heroine, who's kind of who's young and she's being sort of hectored and pushed by her mother for, to attain excellence in the field of gymnastics, uh, and you know, it's a kind of the sto- that that sort of plays out in a in almost a sort of like parental abuse storyline. And then you've also got this kind of, these the, these other ways where this this you know these these changes are coming, and like um, the what the the way that the um, I mean maybe we won't go into what actually happens, but like the the, the monster itself, I'm it, yeah the sort of bird monster itself, which is very much modelled on a kind of Jim Henson Dark Crystal type physical model. Um, ch- ha- changes too, in a way that that sort of really expands out the the sort of metaphorical aspects but yeah I thought I definitely thought it was an interesting film I but I, I, I maybe thought it lacked a kind of like a, a, a wow factor like it like to, to just push things up into that sort of higher gear and you know uh, reach a level of surprise that that I don't think it may be like you know that definitely certainly like there's an ambition there but maybe would have liked it to go a bit further
2: I mean I at times it reminded me of a film I like very much called Ginger Snaps where um, the werewolf is very much a kind of metaphor for puberty and um, this film is not subtle with that allegory there's a lot of kind of period references and stuff but I think where I found it most interesting was the idea of coming of age also horrifyingly turning into sort of becoming your own mother, which for so many people is like a deep, dark fear. Not my mum. My mum is brilliant if she's listening to this. Uh, Michael, how did you find the sort of um, parent-child, I suppose in this case, mother-daughter relationship within the film?
4: Yeah, I, I thought that this film has bags of ideas and the ideas are very strong. I'd probably characterize it as a film that's better to read than to watch in a way, right. as, as in horror is such such a arresting genre, but it's also one that can you know, sustain analysis. This is one where all the way through I was picking up on all this stuff. The parental relationship, I think that um, Sophia Heikela, who's the mother in this, gives a, a really fantastic performance um, and has to anchor this this um, this point, as you said, about the mother-daughter relationship and the horror, in some ways, of either going either way, becoming your mother or becoming some aberrant monster that your mother may not uh, approve of. Which is puberty, right? Where there is that's what I think this this film nails quite well. The moment where you have almost a second birth or a, a second uh, coming of age, where it's moving away from your parents and becoming something different from the family homestead something that can't be aggressively micromanaged by a parent because she is just the ultimate micromanaging parent to the point of she's a the 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 daughter is a a gymnast or at least that's what her mother wants her to be and she's forcing her to train and train and train to achieve perfection of course gymnastics is a another great sort of rich allegorical metaphorical thing to throw into the pot here because it is a world of perfect form so when you're tackling something as imperfect as young adulthood or teenhood uh, it's a good contrast to have that rub up against
2: and I really like that um, I suppose it's the aesthetic of the film as much as this is kind of set within a kind of modern day social media obsessed well there's that element of of uh, the Stepford wife to you know the way that everybody's perfectly coiffured and like and there is a, I think an 80s vibe to it somehow perhaps that's just the dark crystal mm-hmm. of it all that I'm picking up on
3: well I, I thought that the it, one of the things that, that this reminded me of actually was the kind of was was Roald Dahl and the and the uh, it, it felt like a kind of maybe a sort of more f- specifically feminine Roald dahl movie and and as you say i i agree with you about that performance um sophia heikler um coming across like um, you know a, a, a very classic like roll dahl um f- female character um like you know a miss trunchbull or a, or or um who else would would, would it be or one of the you know what the the, the the one of the witches and the witch like you know she has that kind of like you know slightly terrifying aura about her where you, know, you 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 feel that she could kind of pull pull off her skin and reveal this kind of monster underneath her as well uh and and yeah I, I, going back to what you're saying before uh, Layla i think one of my issues with the film is that maybe in comparison to something like ginger snaps it didn't like. I don't think it delivered for me on the on the sort of horror side of things. Like on the sort of the more kind of like down home genre aspect, where you, I, I didn't. I, I'm not sure. I felt sort of scared, or, um, you know, I, I, I wasn't compelled in this way that horror, like, the well, the good horror delivers, um. And 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 I think the 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 thing about a film like Ginger Snaps is it work it really works on both levels that the, the the metaphor and the and the and the genre uh, the genre story are, are just very very perfectly balanced to the point where you kind of can't see which is which has the supremacy. Whereas this is very much like the metaphors, the ideas, the the allegory is to, you know front loaded into the material and the the scares are something of a you know not an afterthought but like that there is a sort of necessary element rather than something that has been kind of really um sort of charged into the material um but but you know that's not that's not to say it's not an enjoyable film in its own right i just you know i i kind of it yeah it's one of those i think i think there's i, I think sometimes people um it's a film that I think you could argue over, in terms of what it actually is. Because, like, is it well? Is it horror? Is it is it a kind of art art movie? Is it a family drama? Is it like sort of Bunuel or you know something that's like like a sort of sly domestic satire? I mean, it sort of falls between all these stools, and I, and I think in this instance you're kind of like, well, yeah, I I, I kind of wish I knew a bit more about what this was. <laughs>
2: I mean, a monstrous bird is eating people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a family drama would be, I think, a bit of a stretch. But um, I suppose the context of this is that this was a Sundance movie and Sundance is kind of known for being now, I suppose, since the Blair Witch Project always being at like the forefront of like, where the horror genre is going. And this, I mean, if you wanted to see, if you want to see a heavy-handed metaphor, you should have attended that festival. My God, Fresh was an absolute abomination when it came to that. But yeah, I'd say this, sort of film called Speak No Evil, out um, of that festival, did feel like fresh new voices to me. What do you, what, are, what do you think, Michael? Do you think this is kind of possibly an indicator of where the horror genre is? Going away from the elevated and into the more kind of gross practical effects side of
4: things. Well, I, I did love the gross practical effects, um, and it, they do that. It is something that develops throughout the film, and the Skeksis dark crystal type bird was wonderful to see. Um, I still think we've got one foot in that horrible term elevated horror because it is about these metaphors and ideas rather than going full tilt in a in, in or, or grimy or gory in a. Ty West Rob Zombie way perhaps but Hannah Bergholm, I was very impressed by this film on on that level because she does have a very delicate visual language throughout the film for building the world of the movie to sustain the ideas the um, creating the pristine world of the home to then focus in on literally the cracks and the scars and the buried secrets and it's a very rich film to read in that sense Um, I will definitely be looking out for more from her. Also, you you talk about this in the context of horror. In the context of national cinema, this is a Finnish movie. And the the Finnish national cinema is not really one that gets much in the way of wide-scale distribution in the UK. And actually, this month, we have two films coming out from Finland. We have this and Girls, Girls, Girls coming out, I think, next week so that is something of a novelty I suppose you could say but something that marks
3: this out as something different
2: well we should probably get some scores on this David do you want to go first
3: yeah I, I probably am going to go um threes across the board on it like I I I there there the, uh, I was really kind of balanced you know I yeah I think I, I you know there were there were sort of things i like things i like less i wasn't like for for me a a, sun, a sundance breakout doesn't necessarily mean like something i'm going to be like running to because i think sometimes those breakouts can be a bit iffy when they sort of finally reach these shores but th- this one i think it's definitely deserved it of that of that name um i love the practical effects and yeah i'm, I'm I, I think she, she uh, um Hannah is some definitely someone to watch i i will I think my anticipation for her next film will be a 4 whatever happens because you know this was this was this was really really good.
2: Michael what about
4: you? 3's across the board but you know strong 3s I suppose um as I as we've we've spoken about at length this is very rich on the ideas level but it didn't just pop off in the way I I'd, I'd like a film like this to.
2: Well, I am going to slightly more generously go with fours across the board. Um, not that I knew anything about her, but as Michael mentioned, the image that this was sold with was such a was such a compelling one. And um, yeah, I, I think of a particularly having watched it in such a sort of a period of that Sundance seemed to be a lot of horror films that really didn't want to be horror films they wanted to be dramas and they just had to package themselves up in a way to make them elevated age 24 horror whatever you want to say it. it's a ridiculous term um so i i i felt at least watching this that hannah bergholm was really embracing and enjoying being in this genre so yes i will be very excited for what she does next <laughs>
0: A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.
5: Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb.
2: Launching on the 20th of September 2022 and touring until September 23, Right of Way comprises of three new film commissions plus a curated programme of archive film examining themes of access and inclusion in the UK countryside. The films cover themes ranging from the absence of ethnically diverse people in the pastoral narrative through to protest, trespassing, activism and rape. I spoke to artist, researcher and writer Dan Guthrie whose practice often explores representations of black Britishness about the program and his film black strangers which sees him play tribute to a man named daniel who died in stroud in 1719 um yeah so i guess we'll kind of start at the beginning um the the, this kind of collection of films is talking about different people being like excluded from rural spaces what did that mean to you
5: well, so I live in a rural area at the moment. I live in Stroud and Gloucestershire. Um, and my mum's family moved from Jamaica to Stroud as part of the Windrush migration back in the 60s. So um, they've always lived here. I've lived here for most of my life. But as is the case, um, sometimes there's this feeling that perhaps I don't belong in this landscape that is, I think... As much mine as anyone else's, yeah.
2: So you feel like a sense of connection to a space It's just kind of more of an outward force that's telling you that it doesn't belong to you.
5: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, if I look out the window now, I my view is like over the valleys of Stroud and it's an absolutely gorgeous view, but I probably don't go for a walk there as much as I'd like to, just because I'm aware that sort of entering that space may not be just as easy as like hopping over a style as it is for some people
2: and in your piece you're kind of using this person called daniel's story to kind of yeah. express that feeling that you have how did you come
5: to daniel so i was doing some research for something else i've been um part of this council-led review panel looking at amongst other things an object in Stroud called the Black Boy Clock which was made in the midst of the transatlantic slave trade. Uh, It's still up today, and it's on the same street as my primary school. Um, But yeah, I was doing all this sort of research around the clock, around historical Black presences in the area at the time of its creation, and that's when I came across Daniel. I think it was probably one of those sort of post-Black Lives Matter, let's try and something documents and it was sort of a, it was sort of like a, a list of all the historical black presences from uh parish records in Gloucestershire and I was just going through it and yeah yeah I saw this um this one record which is for Daniel uh no surname described as a black stranger and buried on the 31st of December 1719 in Nimsfield which is just down the road from me and um, my first thought was like, that's my name. Mm-hmm. Which I know is a very like base level thought, but it's just something that sort of like when you're combing through all this data, sometimes something just like pops out to you. And I was like, there's something there. You know.
2: Yeah. And so I mean, part of this sort of as well as kind of a almost big documentary style, it sort of ends up being like a almost a memorial to Daniel. Would that be fair to mm. say?
5: Yeah, 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 definitely a memorial. I mean, with this sort of work I've been doing around this clock and stride, I've been thinking a lot about who gets remembered, how they get remembered, all those sort of questions. And something that I really, I guess, toy with in the piece is trying to work out how to commemorate someone who you don't really know. Yeah. Mm
2: -hmm. And I
5: think I've tried to do that pretty well. Um, I guess obviously it's up to the viewer, but I think I've given it my best shot.
2: Yeah, I mean the I don't want to give away how it ends, but I found it like intensely moving as a sort of a tribute to someone who otherwise would be, you know, completely lost to the annals of history.
5: Yeah, yeah. Um it's quite a uh it's quite a dramatic ending. <laughs> I think I'll say I'll leave it at that and people can watch and make up their own minds about that.
2: Um, so there are these two other films that are kind of all part of this um, you know, largely commissioned piece. Like, how do you feel your work is kind of in conversation with those other pieces?
5: Uh, I think it's interesting. I I um I've only seen them recently. I went to we had a preview screening up at Berwick Film and Media Arts Festival. Um, and it's interesting because the other the work of the other two, um, Ufoma and Arjuna their works are maybe not as didactic as mine's mm-hmm. but i think they both sort of um yeah take on the subject in quite different ways um Foma's work kind of feels like you're stepping into like someone else's childhood memories um and is quite sort of enveloping in that way and arjuna's work is a lot more driven by um i guess the history of like raves in the countryside um, so they're very different in that way like one's a lot quieter and one's, I don't want to say noisier but um, has a different energy and I think mine sort of like slots in between the two in that kind of a register
2: And is there anything particular that you'd like people to take away from this when they kind of leave hopefully getting to see this at a film festival or you know the various places it's going to be screened
5: Yeah I think um you know, I don't think I can like try and change people's minds completely with all these questions about, you know, access to rural spaces. You know, there are loads of movements at the moment, uh doing all this sort of work, you know, the right to row movement uh flock together as well. I think I'd like to maybe, you know, sort of start the spark of those conversations, you know, when people think either I'm taking being in this space for granted or why am I not allowed in this place? You know, I think, yeah, sparking those conversations would be quite good.
2: Yeah. It does feel that now is a time where we can ask kind of bigger questions that we did than before about what national identity really means. Yeah. And what it means <laughs> you know, on a geographical level, not just in terms of, you know, hashtags.
5: Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think as well, you know, Um the the sort of the program launch is happening i think the day after the queen's funeral Mm -hmm. which i think has definitely raised a lot of questions about who are our symbols of national identity and i'm not saying that i'm claiming to be one of those but i think maybe this program might help to expand people's understanding of you know who is expected to be in different types of spaces
2: yeah Oh, thank you so much. Right of Way will launch on the 20th September at the Lewis Depot and then we'll play in cinemas, film festivals and community screenings across the UK A teenage cartoonist rejects the comforts of his suburban life and leaves home finding an unwilling teacher and unwitting friend in Wallace, a former low-level comic artist So David, this was Owen Klein's directorial debut he's quite the character did you see this in Cannes I believe that's where it was first shown
3: Yeah, that's that's correct um yeah so Owen Klein uh, just to, to give a little bit of context uh you may not recognize the name but if you have seen a film called The Squid and the Whale by Noah Baumbach um he was an actor in that film and he played Jesse Eisen- Eisenberg's younger brother uh who is a bit of a kind of uh, scene stealer in the film and um he has now all grown up and uh has uh, ha- ha- has sort of parlayed his let's say quite idiosyncratic passions that he has accrued over the last 20 years, or since 2005 uh into this um you know really exceptional um uh, debut feature um, and to give you, give you a sense of the flavor as well um it's um it, it's a film that is produced by the safety brothers and is very much kind of stylistically tonally in with sits within their kind of domain of 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 filmmaking that slight that like it's that stressy hectic um uh eccentric Type of cinema that they make and this this is this is kind of owen klein's take on that if you will um the story is one which sees a uh high school kid uh played by daniel zolgadri um who is a kind of budding artist and he's reached this point in his career where he uh has, has a kind of crossroads where he can either jack in high school and go and follow his dream of becoming a comic artist or he can listen to his uh his parents and finish high school and then go whichever way he wants after that and what with him being uh, uh you know a- an independently minded teen and uh you know not not the most kind of uh thoughtful or um uh what's what's the word like he, he's not oh, oh, not the most thoughtful or considerate of people he decides to uh, take take his own take the his own road um this is following a uh one the, the the fact that one of his uh beloved uh tutors art tutors is kind of randomly killed in the in the sort of intro to the film after Having told him that he should follow follow his dreams of becoming an artist, and he's too good to be sort of sucked into the into the school system, and so the film essentially follows his journey uh, of, of kind of budding independence, where he is uh, going going on his own, uh, leaving leaving the family nest, uh, a family nest that it might it's worth saying is extremely comfortable, middle class, uh, suburban and he is he is decided to to stump out on his own where he falls into a job becoming a uh, a kind of legal typist and uh and then um using this, his very small wage to rent a room in uh, a place called Trenton New Jersey which i understand is one of the, the you know it's like one of the bottom 5 cities in america so like kind of the the joke the the joke is very much lost on on sort of non-US non non sort of East Coast viewers but yeah it's not it's not a, a, a nice place to live and uh, he ends up for, he ends up kind of living with these two older guys in in a in a I mean I'm going to call it a sweaty basement but like that doesn't really do justice <laughs> to the actual physical confines of this place and to be honest I, I'm not going to say any more because you just kind of have to see it to believe it but it's really I mean, you know, going back to what we were saying and hatching about, well, what is horror? What is, you know, <laughs> what is comedy? It's like there is there are there are definitely kind of like horror horror elements to this film <laughs> in terms of what the production design brings to the story. And sorry, I'm getting I'm I'm getting to the end of this. He he then he then get he then happens across a guy called Wallace who is um he, you know, he, he 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 certainly has some some issues of his own, and um, it transpires that he was a colorist for Image Comics, which is a kind of like indie comic label. In fact, Michael, you might have to correct me here. It's like, is it still going, or it, it was it? Oh sort yeah, of going like strong, drug? going strong. Okay, the, so the, the
4: Walking Dead came from Image Comics, right? Okay, so yes, so, it, uh, so yeah.
3: but but they've been going through the nineties and, and noughts, I think, and um, this guy worked as a kind of Colorist on their um on their comics and 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 Robert is in, instantly bec- is in awe of him and feels like he's some kind of like sign in 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 this future that he wants. Oh my god, I've bumped into this guy who worked on these uh, these comics that I love, and I have to kind of endear myself to him. Wallace absolutely doesn't want anything to do with him. So yes, that's that's the story in a nutshell. <laughs> so you have all these. Uh, um, the all these tensions all these all these uh, all these like um settings and people and and you know you're you're just seeing robert making a big hash of his life as 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 these kind of late teenagers tend to do and it's just a very very funny film i mean i'll let michael take the bat on now because i could i could rattle on but i'll stop to i'll stop at the point by saying it's it's a comedy and it's really funny I, i laughed a lot in the film not just at the jokes, but at the production design, at the music choices, at the, um, at at, at the editing and the performances. Yeah. It's just, I mean, a lot of, a lot of energy has gone into making sure this film is funny and it succeeds.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I found myself having a similar reaction to Robert when Wallace came out because, you know, he's played by Matthew Mayer, who is like an absolutely extraordinary stage actor, Everyone ever gets the chance to watch his performance in the flick, which has got quite a lot of parallels with this film in terms of like comfortable suburban kid trying to, uh, you know, get some authentic life experience. Um, and he is so extraordinary in this. I was so pleased that he actually gets a big chunky role rather than the kind of small cameos that he gets. But uh, Michael, for you, this is that you know, there's a lot of influence clearly from like that kind of trash art. Kuchar brothers john waters like a grimy underworld did that repulse you or did you have fun with it
4: i mean we 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 speak a lot about um event cinema screenings i watched this at the height of the um heat wave over the summer on my sofa on a screener link mm. and so watching this sticky sweaty film in such a, it, it, almost, it would almost be cheating to watch this film in an air-conditioned atmosphere um, it's definitely picking up the baton from that as well as um what, you know coming in the wake of uh comics adjacent films of the last 20 30 years like the documentary about crumb and then ghost world american splendor but it's doing something very different i think that it's such a it's such a complete vision that owen klein's done here and so dexterous in the way that it's balancing all these elements that it is a comedy it is an outsider artist piece. It is also lacerating in some of its ironic touches, but the, particularly uh, around this main character. But it is also very loving about the art form. It doesn't undermine the art form that uh, j- just because the main character, uh, there's a, uh, it happens to be the way he is, there's a great tagline on the American poster for this, which is that it's the story of New Jersey's next best comic book artist and biggest dick. <laughs> and that's sort of what it is. You could say in some ways this is like a feature film gender flipped ad- 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 flip adaptation of the pulp song Common People because he could call his dad and he could stop it all, but he wants to be in this cellar with these sweaty old guys for his art. And it says something about the artist in that sense, that they are glomming onto outsized, strange characters just to turn it into their comics um, rather than necessarily being that way themselves. And the depiction of the comic book world feels almost post-apocalyptic to me. There's the, one of the central locations is um, a comic book store, a real comic book store, but it's still littered with standees from the 1990s. And there doesn't seem like there are any new comics there. It's all um, dusty, yellowing, second-hand comics that have been sold and bought and resold back doesn't really feel like there's much lifeblood there. However, in the art that um, Robert and his friends make, they're working in a tradition that still is rich and vibrant. But then you have a character like Wallace that comes on the scene, and that's almost an in-joke for comics fans, that he was um, an inker, I think he was, uh, as well as a colorist for Image in the early 1990s, which for some people is seen as almost like the, 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 the dregs of a certain comic book industry, um, and the complete opposite of the uh, wonky, cartoonish, very um, vulgar comics, but funny comics, that Robert wants to work in. So then he meets this guy whose art was the big... Muscles upon muscles upon muscles, superheroes of the early 1990s. So it's also rich with in-jokes for comics nerds as well. And it's been really fascinating since the premiere at Cannes, where it went over well with critics, seeing different pockets of people seeing it. So, like, the hipsters seem to have responded to it well. Comic nerds are also kind of coming onto it kind of well. So it's this rare film, which, not that I don't know if you can chart four quadrants between normal people film critics comics nerds and so-
2: <laughs> uh, what's the fourth just the just the indifferent masses <laughs> yeah exactly
4: <laughs> but this one seems to have something for many of those uh, those communities
2: yeah uh, the thing that i kind of found myself slightly worrying about it was cuz i think this is such a special film that perhaps it's being marketed or, or- you know, the assumption is this is going to be some sort of twee indie comedy where everybody kind of learns a lesson. And for me, I was delighted that that's what it what it wasn't. But like, David, do you think um, it might kind of get a bit lost because there's there's nothing quite like it out there at the moment?
3: Yeah, I mean, yeah, you say you say that it's going down well. At the same time, I can imagine there being a fairly large chunk of people who maybe wouldn't be so. Uh, enamored with the film because it is quite kind of you know it's kind of brutal and um, you know some some of the some of the content in it is 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 quite sort of hair raising shall we say and uh, um, yeah no but I I, I think it's one of those films that the 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 people who like it will love it you know and it's it's gonna it's gonna it's a film that will will kind of be remembered for a long time it's it's not just going to be one of those sort of ephemeral film comedies that you know you pop up you know pops up on Netflix in a few years and you're like oh yeah I remember that But like it's actually something that I think people might you know will be inclined to watch again and again and this will this will be a kind of film that you know will go on criterion and you know will will will, will be coming out in Klein re- retrospectives in the future you know like it's a, it's a proper kind of like you know memorable important debut um i think going off what michael said before as well i think one of the interesting things about it as well is this it kind of it very much is made by someone who has all these kind of weird passions and he's getting this kind of this he's getting the ultimate outlet to to be able to present them in film um and you you know you are getting I think I think what what the the film if you like I I sort of met Owen and did a q and A with him and the impression that you get is that this film is very much a kind of like psychological like inside the mind of Owen Klein like inside his yeah. toy box inside his on, on you know this is his his sort of the shelves of his bedroom wall this is his record collection his comic collection and the books he's read and the films he's seen you know it's like it's very much like a a kind of Mem- memory scrapbook uh, like thrown up on the screen but at the same time I think through the character of Miles he's he's definitely trying to kind of dismantle this idea of like you know all artists are these kind of sacred beings and and, and being an artist is something that is sacred and should exist outside the confines of, of kind of polite friendly society and I think Robert is driven by this idea that he can only like being an artist allows him to be as the poster says, a, a, a dick basically, <laughs> because you know he's he's almost like existing for this higher form, whereas like Robert, uh, sorry Miles, meanwhile, sorry, sorry, no, what not Miles Wallace, meanwhile, Miles is his is, is his funny friend, but Wallace meanwhile is someone who is like the opposite of that, who is an artist who has no, who who kind of doesn't see any kind of gravity or or or, or pleasure in in having done that job as you know even though there are people like robert who who just who are kind of worship worshiping him for his work he's just like well i was just a guy doing a job you know and and i think the film is uh, is really like weighing up that idea at its core that is about like what is an artist you know you you know maybe it's saying as you grow older the idea of being an artist changes within you like when you're young it's all about passion and and attaining this this sort of hallowed status. When you grow older, you actually see it as more of a job, and it's a, it's a way to get income. It's just it's a boring thing that you it's a grind that you have to go through. So, it's quite sort of like you know perspicacious in that sense, and it's sort of showing the you know, the lifetime of a, of a of 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 like what, what what perceptions what the perception of being an artist is. So you know, beyond all the funnies and the, and the jokes, it's, there there's, there's something quite deep at the core, I think.
2: Yeah, I think it's very interesting to be able to balance that sort of jaded um, feeling when it comes to the creativity of so many people in this and the foolishness of many of the choices with actually like a genuine respect and it also like a bit of a reverence for what the art form is uh michael before we move on to the film i am really excited to hear your thoughts on when it came to funny pages did this seem a more kind of compelling coming of age than we than you experienced with hatching
4: Ooh, interesting because yes this is an impossible to market film and coming of age is one of those terms that's being put into some of those tweets some of those youtube descriptions and marketing copy is it a coming I, I i don't think you can class it as a coming of age because so much of it is about arrested development and stubbornness mm-hmm. and maybe in some ways that is more true to life than we see in other coming of age movies because if you know i i, I i'm speaking for myself here but if i look back on my life there's not there's no one great summer or one great moment where I decided I was an adult
2: <laughs> it could be coming could be next summer <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs>
4: at age 36 I'm going to finally become an adult but um yeah this feels like it gets to the heart of some ugliness and some truth and uh, uh, in a way that's something that is purely metaphorical like hatching um I don't want to kick hatching too much uh that was good you know we, we've talked about that in its own way but the funny pages does seem to be Mining an area of the creative brain, particularly a young creative brain, which just feels like everything around it is matter to be chewed up and spat out. Uh, it, it tackles that in a really a way that's really fascinating and interesting, the relationship between the artist and their subject. Um, in a similar way, we mentioned the Safdies up top, and maybe that's the best way to sort of, sort of home in on. The Safdies aspect is probably the strongest thing to recommend this on. If you saw good time or uncut gems and strip out the genre trappings of that and look at their protagonists and how their protagonists are so self-involved but so exploitative of everyone around them just to get what they need. There's a lot uh, to compare Robert with uh, Pattinson's character, Arpat's character in good time, the way that he responds to other people just to get ahead in his life. And the co-producer here, Ronald Bronstein um, was the star and behind the camera as well on um daddy longlegs the earlier safty brothers film which uh, we did a live show live screening a live podcast of a couple of years ago Th- that film is very close to this one so if i had to tr- figure out a marketing strategy for this i'd say an unlikely coming of age story i'd say the story of new jersey's biggest dick <laughs> <laughs> but also I'd, I'd hammer home that safty connection it really it really does ring true
2: we should get some scores on this. Uh David, you wanna go first? In anticipation, enjoyment and in retrospect? Not that you yeah, need I... to remind me of your own scale.
3: No, no, no. Um it's um it's I I I'm gonna say fours across the board. Um it's a really very, very fine debut. I had a good time with it, I'd happily watch it again. Um I think there are kind of untapped depths to it um and just just one final little thing which i feel duty bound to mention so um we've got an interview with owen in our current issue of little white lies which is on on sale now through all good uh magazine sellers um and one of the things we talked about was uh the the use of a song Uh uh-oh by the the band the nutty squirrels which is a kind of squirrel squirrel pop uh chart sensation from the mid-50s, which he uses in a brilliant way in the film. And uh, it's just one of... Again, it's very sort of emblematic of his tastes. Um, And since seeing the film, actually, um, I've I've started to play Uh Uh-Oh a lot. Um, And and me and my young daughter, it's become a kind of like clarion call for bath time. So whenever I put Uh Uh-Oh on... She ha- she gets she basically automatically gets ready for for, for, for bath. So like yeah it's bit it's 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 nice actually and she sings along with it as well. So that's that's been a little extra bonus feature for this film for me.
2: A little Pavlovian experiment. Lovely.
3: Exactly. <laughs> Nutty squirrel.
2: Michael, what about you?
3: Pavlov Squirrel.
4: Squirrel pop. Squirrel <laughs> pop needs a resurgence, doesn't it? Um I'd say and I'd like to rewatch this film, you know, I'm hesitant to give films fives, but this is a very strong fours across the board for me as well. um likely to go up to a five on a rewatch, I think, and only maybe a four in retrospect because, as David said, this feels like it's the entirety of Owen Klein's brain tipped onto screen, and I'm very curious to see what he does next, particularly because I wonder if he's just left everything on the on the table here um because. It does feel like such a complete vision, but I'm looking forward to see what he does next. He's definitely a strong voice to look out for.
2: Yeah, I think I um, the circumstances when I watch it was I knew nothing about it going in. I sort of I assumed it was some kind of twee indie coming of age thing that I'm allergic to maybe a one or a two coming into it, uh, five in enjoyment. I think the second that Matthew Mayer comes on screen, I had a moment of like, oh shit, things are about to get real. And um, I was just really, really surprised by it throughout, which is, you know, so rare when you watch as many films as you do, that like something completely takes you off guard. And um yeah, probably. four in retrospect, I watched it because I was interviewing Owen, who is an absolute delight and you know such an interesting guy. And then kind of going through it afterwards with him and picking apart all the little influences that he had. Um, I'm really excited to see what he does next. Um, I, you know, have we have, have we all interviewed about, Owen?
4: Think. We've all interviewed Owen, right? Oh,
2: great! Oh, wow. <laughs> so Owen is available you- if people want to chat. <laughs> <laughs>
3: We should have we really should have mentioned that at the top so we could have it could have been a full disclosure thing. We
2: Yes. F- friend of the group. Yeah. <laughs> he he's he's a strong actor but I really want him to stay on this side of the camera. But yeah. Um yeah, that is has this ever happened before that we all three people have interviewed the same guy? Probably
4: not, not for the same film in the same release week.
2: Next up, Angel's Egg. <laughs> A mysterious young girl wanders a desolate, otherworldly landscape carrying a large egg. So, Michael, there's, there's a letter by Bill Gunn that I always love to read where he has a line where he says sometimes the job of the critic is to just shut up and listen. So I kind of just want to shut up and listen. <laughs> you talk about Angel's Egg.
4: This is a really interesting film club pick for something like Hatching, where Hatching really wants you to know what it's talking about. Like this is what it's about it's all these things it's a it's the it's not finished the term but it's a smorgasbord of themes in hatching whereas angel's egg both the two key, key creators behind this film have said in interviews we don't know what it's about it really is the the epitome of um just vibes kind of animation and it it's so powerful as an art film And I suppose to give it some context about what this film is, Mamoru Oshii, we've mentioned him earlier, he made, uh, directed Ghost in the Shell in the mid-1990s, which for most people who are sort of casual watchers of Japanese animation, that's probably one of the one or two films you're likely to have seen. Um, And it's a blockbuster, but very thoughtful, uh, ideas-packed sci-fi, futuristic, dystopian sci-fi film looking at the nature of humanity and post-humanity and was of large influence on the matrix but Oshii, as a filmmaker is probably as iconoclastic as they come and this is one of the key stages in that up until this point he'd been working in the animation sort of machine he was a director on a long-running series called urusei yatsura which was a sort of magical girl anime and he um directed that through some very successful years and then completely split his audience with one feature film where he just sort of threw out the tone and style of what come before and turned it into a confounding time loop sci-fi type drama Um, and so he was out on his ass from the animation industry and tried to pitch around to make other features with different franchises and studios and none of his ideas were sticking because they were just too off the wall. So instead he makes this very independent movie, um, in collaboration with Yoshitaka Amano, who did a lot of the character designs, world design, uh, concept art for this. Um, he would then later go on to be a key figure in the concept art for the Final Fantasy video game series from pretty much this year onwards for the 20 years following this. He'd do the majority of character designs for that and cover artwork for the games. And this just stands almost separate from most of animation, Japanese animation history because it is a confounding art film, unabashedly so, that it that is still powerful to this day. Really, be- it reveals that oshi was much more of an a fan of European cinema and animation. He was a guy who, um as a kid, his dad was a private detective, and between gigs would just take his take his son to the cinema, so he was brought up on european cinema. He was a huge fan of Goddard Bergman Tarkovsky, and he'd talk about not just the tone of European cinema, but the landscape of Europe as being something, post-war Europe as being something that inspired him, and that's completely in this film, this desolate European blighted landscape that these two characters are walking across with this large egg, then also all these biblical uh, references and themes coming to the fore, but I'm really interested to know what you two sort of made of this as well, because there is no correct answer what it's about. And of course, we all have expectations and prejudices when we come to anime, expecting a certain sort of maybe kinetic, um, action packed kind kind of uh expressionistic sort of style. And this is the ante of all of that. Uh so what do you make of it?
2: Um God, I mean I, it keeps changing. Um I suppose To me, it seemed very much like a film about faith and about kind of clinging to clinging on to hope and whether or not you can kind of nurture something in this sort of hellish post-apocalyptic landscape, whether it's worth kind of sowing the seeds of the future at any point. Um, But yeah, I mean, David, what about you? It feels like it really does feel like there's hours of discussion to be had with this one. Mm -hmm
3: what 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 i'd say to you michael is, is 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 that maybe and maybe you can correct me on this but like i i i feel that with a lot of anime um even even the sort of famous stuff like akira ghost in the shell um the 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 storylines and what they're about are 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 often very you know very obscure and like that the, I think that the way that those films tell stories are sometimes you know do verge on the experimental and there's lots of kind of like references and even something like Ghost in the Shell I mean it's been a while since I've seen it but I've just got this memory of being like I'm not entirely sure what happens in the movie even though it is this kind of you know cl- classical classic text now um, and I think and, and and that's you know that's not meant that's not meant as a criticism so I maybe came to this it, knowing that it was sort of difficult but kind of thinking well it's going to be difficult in that sort of anime way where you know it's it's still it's still it's enjoyable and approachable on this completely different aesthetic and emotional level. And yeah, I think I think this is what this was and I was really kind of, you know, um stunned by it. Uh just its boldness and it's kind of absolute Complete refusal to conform to to give to give you a kind of like nudge in any particular direction to give you any kind of catharsis. I mean, the final shot of the film is this kind of long. It's like something that you just don't ever see in animation, which is a long take. You like, I mean, you know that it 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 sort of goes against the actual kind of. The the, the the sort of central conceit of animation, where you know it's a long process, you know you have limited time, you have to tell the story, like, and 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 obviously with animation you have so much recourse to to images, you can do anything you want, so why would you do a long a long take? And this this the the final sort of two three minutes of the film is this kind of long pullback shot of the of this desolate world, and then it just and it just ends and like. it's it's like jaw-dropping like you like wow like how how can a film how can an animation film do that you know Mm -hmm. um yeah but but yeah it feels like it's done you know oshi was completely ring-fenced and completely you know it's a it's a film of a free man as they as they as the old saying goes like you know there was clearly no no producers cracking the whip no one's saying that we had to make our money back on this. At the same time, I feel that it's the sort of thing that would have, especially in Japan, would have created this, like, you know... did, did Was it this cult phenomenon? Like, was it... No, oh, no, so just...
4: No, no, it was a failure, and he, he says that it put him in director prison for maybe four years after this. He didn't really make another major animated <laughs> mm. series or feature
3: until the end of the 80s after this. One of the other... So... Just to, for context as well, but I'd i have I'd seen a couple of Oshi films before, um, uh, before this. In fact, a fair a fair few. One of the one of the first films of his I saw was uh, my first. Ever, it was the, it was like the second or third film I saw, so I saw it back to back with um, Satoshi Kon's Paprika, but I saw this 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 movie called, um, oh, what uh, it's called. Uh, the amazing lives of the fast food grifters which was this kind of uh I thought oh it's 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 Oshie it's going to be you know it's going to be a cool fun animation and it was like this kind of two-hour philosophical tract like completely impenetrable everyone walked out it was like these kind of weird hand puppets of fast food superheroes fast food based superheroes talking extensively in these monologues about like very obscure monologues about Japanese history. And, you know, they, I really got this. I mean, I, I, I sat through it, but was completely baffled by it and remember thinking, wow, this, this, this is the ghost in the machine guy. And he's like, you know, he's some modern philosopher. He's not, he's not a filmmaker. He's obviously got some, you know, desire to, to, to be, to, to be writing these, you know, Dense philosophical tracts about you know, cult, like Japanese culture and and history, um, and so you know, seeing a film like Angel's Egg, it, it kind of fits into the to the puzzle of his career. You know, he is complete like hardcore intellectual who is making these these you know working in a form that is is mainstream and populist. Mm-hmm. So,
4: but he, yeah, I suppose, yeah, you're hitting on something there. He's not a conventional animation filmmaker in the sense that animation is just one of the many tools he uses. Around this time, he was also ready, you know, it was kickstarting a sort of live action filmmaking career. He was also writing radio plays and uh, novellas and all sorts. He only would use animation sparingly. And he wasn't really a. A dream weaver, or whatever we, we'd call popular animation filmmakers, he was a polemicist. Well, he is, he's still around. He is a polemicist, he is a, a, an iconoclast. He does want to explore philosophical themes and um, political history. World history, uh, all this stuff. I'm I'm glad you hit upon the long takes in the film because there's one that happens just before that final shot where it's um, the girl is is on the sort of altar and the soldier is sat next to her and it's almost like a the, the sun is rising yeah. across the, the and, and that reminded me of Simon Lang uh, uh, and, yeah. <laughs> and, and the, the art cinema is the sort of reference point you have when watching this film rather than putting it necessarily in the same bracket as. Akira or spirited Away it, it it does exist in a in a different world, and that is what, how this film has been embraced. It's been embraced by um, the sort of online letterbox cinephiles uh, who will put you know don't see the boundaries between genres and
2: art forms. Hmm. So I'm just wondering if you could. So in terms of this, uh, in terms, sorry again, COVID. Um, in terms of Oshi's legacy, what. How do you kind of place this? You said it was a kind of disaster? It's now got its own following, but like was it a case where later successes made people go back and like reassess this kind of more impenetrable work?
4: It has been reassessed as always internationally uh distribution is always an issue. This film has never I, has not really been given a proper release um, at least in English language territories, but then again, most of his um 1980s work hasn't either. Um, I kind of see his career resting on maybe four pillars. There's the film he made before this, uh, Beautiful Dreamer, which was that part of Orisa Yatsura, that series I talked about, which was confounding and split audiences and got him death threats at the time um, for adding these philosophical themes and uh, experimental storytelling dynamics into what should have been a magical girl anime. Um, But so many filmmakers point to that. Of, of the following generation say that's what opened their eyes to what anime could be and do. So with that, you get Shinjiro Watanabe who makes Cowboy Bebop in the 2000s. Angel's Egg is, is is another one because it is shows how risk-taking and iconoclastic he could be. But then, and there are then the series and films he made in the Pat labor series and, and, and two features that he makes in the late 80s, early 90s, which is where he marries his European art cinema philosophic, philosophical sensibilities to a more recognisable genre and form of cinema, which is sort of mecca sci-fi. And he does the same with Ghost in the Shell. I find it interesting, David, that you do say you don't remember what happens in Ghost in the Shell because I think that is one where the plot is so thin. It's a much shorter film than you remember, but it's mm. full of visual ideas and these questions that linger and have inspired people to this day. But he is a, he's an odd figure. He's a bit of an edgelord nowadays, um, taking to task all of the sacred cows of animation. He has a really spiky relationship with Ghibli and Hayao Miyazaki. Um, says, I think his, his famous quote is that he thinks that Hayao Miyazaki is a bit too obsessed with young girls. And a particular oh sort of uh, idealized young girl that only exists in Miyazaki's head. Um, but that's sort of a, a, a very fun industry sort of joshing that goes on because around this time as well in 1985, Oshii very almost made a film with Ghibli. So Ghibli f- was founded just before Angel's Egg* came out and he was going to make a film with Miyazaki as a producer. But at the i think one of the early production meetings he fell out with him <laughs> and that never worked with him ever again
3: wow yeah.
2: but thank you very much um i hope people will now seek it out i mean sadly it is just kind of sitting on youtube because i don't think anybody's kind of after the rights of it but if that's the way that this work gets seen that's better than it disappearing altogether i suppose
4: so it does got- it it does get the odd screening um over here i think it most recently was screened um, was it up in Cambridge also, it, it does get shown every, every now and then there are ways to license it for big, the big screen but maybe not for the home end But <laughs> keep, keep an oh. eye out in the listings maybe you'll have the chance to see it in the cinema because I think this is such a good cinema film mm. as well if you have the chance yeah. to see it
2: Google Alert is going to be immediately put on for me <laughs> the next time it's shown um, so if you've got thoughts on these films you can email Movies at tcolondon.com or tweets at lwlies next week it's time for Florence Pugh to gaslight, gatekeep, and girl boss her way out of Don't Worry, Darling. Hong Sang soo is back in typically beguiling form in, with In Front of Your Face. And on Film Club, Cassavetes tells the story of a woman under the influence. Thanks very much for tuning in. And if you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a review and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Proof the Movies is hosted by me, Leila Latif, and my guest this week, David Jenkins and Michael Leder. The podcast is produced by TCO London and edited by Jade Cunningham.